Welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we dig into more depth in the passage that we looked at on Sunday. I'm David Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. We kicked off this term a series in Genesis chapter 12 to 25, looking at Abraham, the father of faith. And on Sunday, Dave uh, dug into chapter 12 as we looked particularly at the blessings uh, that God gave Abram and the impact that they have on us today. Dave, thanks heaps for opening God's word for us. It was, as always, a pleasure and it was really wonderful to be able to listen the week before to um, to, to Peter Jensen and, and hear him summarise Genesis 1 to 11 in one big go as well. That's been excellent. And, uh, and one of the things I think is hit straight away as we've been doing our work and I've been doing prep sort of in, in Genesis is just uh, rediscovering this super, super important part of the of the Bible and seeing how foundational it is to the rest of the rest of the Bible and um, and giving Abraham a bit of a break and sort of going all right if I knew what he knew what would I do uh, rather than necessarily thinking well he should have known this and he shouldn't have mm. known that and so that's something that I found just an, an interesting exercise to reflect on I'm trying to going to try and hold that mind as as we keep hearing more about him and sort of going all right what what should he have known by now? Mm. And to have that as a big question I ask. Any other things that sort of, sort of struck you as, as we reflected on Sunday? I think that in particular as we get back to Genesis 1 to 11 last week, in some ways it's so familiar. Mm. Um, it really is um, a part of the Bible that I think I've done several sets of studies on. But the more I've reflected on it, the more I go, I'm not sure that I've ever actually heard a sermon series that goes through slowly 12 to 25. So I've sat in sermon series that have done Genesis 1 to 11 or that have done all of Genesis, which means that you have to skip mm, over and yep, select yep. different passages because it's a long book of the Bible. Yeah. And so I've really loved the slowing down and particularly loved yesterday getting back to that all familiar Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Yeah. So, so what we're going to do a bit of today is we're going to particularly, I guess you could say 11.27 to 12.20 is basically four sections. So you've got the section that's the terror section, you've got the promises section, you've got Abraham's obedience to those promises and his journey to Canaan, and then you get the bit that we didn't cover on Sunday, which is Abram and Sarai go down to Egypt. Yeah. And so what we thought we'd focus on, we'll do a little bit more, as I flagged in the sermon, about this at the end of chapter 11 and just how that sets us up as a, in, in the narrative, which is always something that we want to do with this podcast, try and think how are we prepared as readers. Yep. And so we'll have a look at that, how that prepares us as readers. We broadly will we'll mention a little bit about the second and third sections, but only fairly briefly. And then, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll zoom in on the section we didn't get to cover at all and have a look at Abram and Sarai's trip to Egypt and the uh, hijinks that happened down there. So that's what we're going to do today. Okay, so let's start with that first section. What are we going to do here? We're going to look at three things, Mandy. We're going to look at that introduction, the thing that I flagged yesterday in the talk. This is the account of, and we'll explore what some of those actual verses were. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at an issue that is a challenge of timing that is raised in this section that is actually going to get us to roam a bit further through the Bible, even into the New Testament, and uh, and wrestle with the idea of what if you've got a bit of the Bible that seems to say something different 
different mm. to another part. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're just going to remind ourselves as readers of narrative, how does this prepare us for in, in narrative terms for the stuff that's going to follow? So let's do that. Yeah. So this is the account of. This there's, is the account of. There's a special word There's here. a special word. It's the, the Hebrew phrase word is toledot. It's just one word, but it means this is the account of. And so um, there, that's a phrase that is a – it begins is is early on in a, a number of sections. Begins big sections of Genesis, and so uh, the very first time it occurs is in chapter two, verse four. So this is the one that you might be familiar with. So chapter two, verse three is the end of you know it's God resting from His creation in the first creation account, and then in chapter two, verse four, it says, "This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens." Now. The first time you read that, you think, oh, we're getting a second kind of creation account. If you're familiar with Genesis 1 compared to Genesis 2, it's like one is a general sort of creation, and then the second creation account is the more zoned in on God's relationship with his people. It's the Garden of Eden. It is the creation of Adam from the dust, the, um, how he makes Eve, and how, how together their bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and, and humanity begins. Yeah. So you can see straight off that, 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 that this is the account of, it's the beginning of the whole lot, right? It's the beginning of the human story, but really that personal human story. Mm. And also the name Yahweh is introduced in chapter 2. Yeah. Not just God generically, the being, the great being, but Yahweh as who is the name of God as he reveals himself mm. through the times of scripture, right? So I've laboured that one a little bit. We'll do the other ones more briefly. Chapter 5, verse 1. Do you want to read that? This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. So you can see why that's a new beginning for humanity, don't you? Like everyone is doing evil things. God is grieved and does this great work, is going about to do this great work of uncreation with the flood, which mm. is the way it's told, like it is an, a reversal of creation, but chooses to start a new humanity um, through Noah. Mm. After the flood, we read in chapter 10, verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham and Japheth. Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Yes. So this is so everything's they've they've landed. Noah's story is in a sense done. And we get this new beginning of humanity spreading throughout the earth. And so this is the Toledot of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? Yeah. So this is their account, Noah's sons, and they're spreading throughout again a new time of of um, development in the world and that also ends in chapter 30 verse 32 of chapter 10 is book ends it and the word is repeated mm -hmm. so then you've got they've they've all spread out but now almost like we do with adam with with, with a, a ref, more specific line of the line of god's people we get um chapter 11 verse 10 this is the account of shem's family line two years after the flood when shem was a hundred years old he became the father of Arphaxad. Yes. I mean, you've got to think Shem comes up with a great name for his son. So um, this is the, the, verses, the verse immediately after the Tower of Babel. Mm. Okay? So you've, you've got the, uh, the, the previous Toledot of Noah's sons and then you get this account where people work together and still sin was about and so God scatters them 
And so then we get another Toledot, a new step. And this is not just through all of Abra- of Noah's sons, I beg your pardon, but one of them, just the line of, of Shem. And, uh, and so you, you can read through all of those and, and, and how they sort of travel. And this is also, we were observing this a little earlier, this is where you start to see the ages of humanity start to decrease. So the first, um, so Shem himself lives to be a good you know, half a millennia, like 500 years. By the end of this list, it's down to 200. 100. So you, you've got this um, declining and it's telling us a message. So just like... In um, Genesis 5, the message is not so much we get distracted by the fact that Methuselah lived to 969, but the phrase that keeps getting repeated, and he died, and he died, died and, he, and died. he died. Death is now in the world. Uh, now we're getting this declining age as well. It's moving further. So, so you've got Shem's family line, and then that takes us up to the beginning of our verse. So you can see how each of them is a big marker of the next step. Now, the term, this is the account of, the Toledots, happened there's two more after the section that's in our verse. So in 11.27, we get the Toledot of Terror. But then in chapter 25, verse 12, which is the end of our series, what do we read? This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. So what we'll hear, and there's a bit of a spoiler alert, is, is as time goes on, we're going to find out that Ishmael is also going to be a great nation because he's the son of Abram. Mm. He's, he's not the son who the promise is going to go to, but you get told about his descendants and who, and who they are. And then in chapter tw- the very um, in chapter 25, verse 13. Oh, not, 13. Oh, no, yep. that's the wrong one. Um, uh, we also will then hear that the, the other two ones that come up are going to be the story of Isaac. This is Toledot, Isaac's Toledot. And then after that, we're going to get Jacob's Toledot. And that's going to be – it's interesting enough is that the Toledot of Terah is the story of Abram. Yep. The Toledot of Isaac is the story of Jacob and Esau. And, um, and then the Toledot of Jacob is the story of Joseph. So the, the, in the patriarchs, the patriarchs are Abraham, um, Isaac and Jacob. The Toledots there are of the sons. Yep. So Abram, the son of Terah, Jacob, the son of Isaac, and Joseph, the son of Jacob. And, uh, and we'll, we'll say a bit more of that about uh, that in yep. times to come. So we're going to go back now and read about the Toledot of Terror, but we're going to read it from the verse before it starts because there's some interesting information that we're going to wrestle with. This is going to be our timing issue. So, um, Mandy, could you read verse 26 of chapter 11 through to verse 32? After Terror had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Issachar. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran, 
Okay, so we've got a few issues of timing there. So one of the questions that comes up here is if you're just reading that and the very next verse is the Lord had said to Abram, go from your people and we get those promises. So on the face of it, it seems that the decision to leave Ur and to go to Haran on the way to Canaan was Terah's decision. Yeah. He's the one who takes his family and like, Abram's one of them and collects them all and then they go off, right? Yeah. After all, it's his Toledot, right? Yeah. The only thing is, is that it would seem that then God gives his great promises to Abraham, or Abram, at Haran. Mm. And then, and he gives it to him seemingly after Terah's died. So at the end of chapter 11, we're told that Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Then we get the story. Yeah. Whereas you might have picked up that when I was preaching on Sunday, I was kind of suggesting that actually Abram had already been given the promise and that um, Terah may have stopped, but then Abram, because the Lord had made the promise, kept going. going. All right. Now, we've got a few things we've got to wrestle with. What is the order of things here? And then we got to, and then we're going to come up with some numbers issues. So first of all, why on earth would you think that Abram had been given that before he's gone to Haran and not after he's gone to Haran, given that chapter, the Genesis seems to say that suggests that it's it's a, that sequence, right? Well, the answer is found in the New Testament. It's all Stephen's fault. It's all Stephen's fault. So would you like to read to us from Acts chapter 7? So this, this is Stephen's great speech. Um, he's about to be stoned to death. Uh, the, the, um, the opposition to the infant church is, is, is reaching a, a peak um, from the, the people in the Jewish people in Israel. And uh, this is what we read. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. Okay. Now, if you're just reading that, you're going... Oh, well, that clarifies it. Okay, so it just means that when we're reading Genesis, the writer of Genesis has says, "Well, let's let's tell you just how long Terah lived for, and then what, and then he just goes back to what Abram was told." Oh, okay, so that explains it. That's the way to reconcile it. Uh, not Except it doesn't quite work. It does doesn't it? doesn't quite work like that. So. First of all, the first thing to say is there's allusions in Genesis that might suggest that that actually confirm what Stephen was saying. So that is in Genesis chapter 15 verse 7, uh, God says to Abram, says, I am Yahweh who called you out of Ur. So, so even though you wouldn't you know, stake your house on it, you could say there's a suge- suggestion that he didn't call him out of Haran, he yeah. called him out of Ur and, and brought him from there. So you could sort of go, well, that, that confirms the chronology that, uh, that Stephen brought up. What causes problems for it, for Stephen, is that notice how he says there, after the death of his father, God sent him to this land that you are now living. So what that is saying is that, uh, Stephen, perhaps um, w- with Genesis 11 and 12 as the scripture in his mind, 
there's just that broad sequence that we've talked about. Mm. Terra dies at the age of 205 and then Abram's given that, that message. Even though Stephen himself has said, yeah, but that message was given earlier. Yep. But he would say he's left after Terra's died. The problem is the maths doesn't work. Yeah, because we've got Terra's 70 when he has Abram. Yep. Um, and he's 205 when he dies. So, so what a- would that leave Abram's age when Terra dies? 70 minus 205. Well, 205 minus 70. Yes, yeah, that's, <laughs> so that's, 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 that's the order. That's what right? I mean. In other words, 135. So that would say that um, Abram is 135 when he leaves for Canaan. Now, why is that a problem? Because chapter 17 tells us that... We don't even have to go that far. Don't even have to go we that far. We will go that far. But first of all, chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So if he's 75 years old when he sets out from Haran and and Terah was 70 when he had Abram, then that makes Terah 145 when he dies or Or when when Abram leaves. Okay, so what we've got is we've got two... Problems. We've got to work out which is the bigger issue. So one issue could be that Genesis got its all, all its timing out, mm. um, and that uh, it actually happened that Abram left after Terah had died. But the maths in Genesis, the person just stuffed it up, and and Terah was some other mm. different he, kind of age. He was one hundred and forty-five. Yeah, he was one hundred and forty-five. So the interesting thing, of course, is that the um, Samaritan Pentateuch, which is an ancient version of the Bible actually has Terah's age at 145. But that's a little too convenient. That's them trying to go, oh, we've got to we've let's got to line it all let's up line it all up. up so that it's neat. Um, no, I think there's big issues with I don't think that the person compiling Genesis who has sown such care in the way they arrange things is going to forget that within basically a half a chapter, they've made a massive chronological error, that they've got a guy dying at 205, his son leaving at the age of 75, and that, that, may, and that son being someone who he's just told us was born when the guy who lived to 205 died at 70. It, yeah. it, it doesn't work. Um, and and the, the maths, you know, we're, we're told about Abram's age at a number of key points. We're told about Sarah's age at key points. It it just doesn't work that the writer of Genesis will have got the times wrong. And because the 205 years of Terah's life, that then takes him, as you were talking about the Toledots, over this entire account. Um, Mm. Because we know, like we're told key things like Abraham's 99 and Sarah's 90 when um, Isaac Mm. is born. We know that Sarah dies at 127 Mm. because that's recorded. And that means that if... Terrar is 205, mm. he dies the year before Sarah, Sarah dies. And, and Sarah's death is pretty much at the very end of the Toledot of Terra. So that means that the, the statement that, that you've got, the one whose Toledot it is, being alive, even though he was in Haran, for most the almost the entire duration of his Toledot. So the interesting thing is the two other Toledots that I told you about of the patriarchs. So the Toledot of Jacob of Isaac, I beg your pardon, um, we're told this is the Toledot of, of Isaac when 
he when Jacob and Esau were born, and then you just hear about Jacob and Esau all the mm. time, then that story ends and Isaac dies at the end of it, mm. and then we're told about the Toledot of Jacob. Most of the big events of Jacob's life have already happened during the Toledot of Isaac. Yeah. But Jacob happens and his story ends up being the story of Joseph. And then Jacob comes back at the very end of the story of Joseph to f- close off his Toledot, in a sense, by dying. The one difference is, is that Terah lives for the duration of the Toledot, which is mainly telling us about Ar- Abram. Um, and I think just because Terah didn't, was not a follower of the Lord, he doesn't do anything else. He The, the writer just kills him off at the mm. end of chapter 11. So, but the maths actually works. 205 takes it to basically the extent of his story. Yep. Now, what then... Do, do we, we do with Stephen? What do we do with Stephen? So, first of all, we, we can... It, does that mean that Acts has got a mistake in it. No, Acts is Luke recording what Stephen said and Luke's recorded accurately what Stephen said. The question then is, did Stephen, under the pressure of being about to be stoned to death, um, off the cuff, making a defence that goes for two chapters and is absolutely magnificent, um, um, did he, on the way through, make an error? And I think... Yeah, he did. And and the, the error he made was just and, – and talk about my – it's in passing. He said, so after his father died, he went too. Um, and the after he died bit, well, Stephen, sorry, mate, you, you were – you were mistaken. You were misremember. You you were putting a chronological sequence on some on which was actually a literary sequence yeah. in the book of Genesis. Yeah, because it totally matches the fact that. Terra's died at the end of chapter 11 and then we go into chapter 12 which talks about the details of it. So Genesis has got its details right and Luke has got his recording right and um, Stephen, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has has um, and matching really the hint that we got in Genesis chapter 15 verse 7 has got the timing of when Abram was given the promises right. He's just got when he left Haran wrong and there we go. So, so that's the that's the um, if you if you've got your pen and your calculator out as we're going through Genesis, you'd have discovered this anyway. Um, so there you go. So the last thing I want to say about this first section is just just think about how does this prepare us for the narrative to follow? And the main thing is is that remember when we've done narrative in the past, you're looking for how it introduces key characters mm. to you. Now, Terra is not a key character, so he's kind of named at the beginning and he's wiped off at the end of, the, of that section. But we're introduced to Lot, who is a very key, who's going to be a key person at a couple of stages in, mm. in the Toledot that follows. We're also introduced, why would we be introduced to the fact that, to, to Haran's daughters who, who, who marry a guy called Nahor? Why is that relevant? Because um, Milka is going to be Rebecca, mm. um, her grandmother. Yep. Um, so she's introduced into the story because we're going to be reminded of that family line later in the Toledot when Abraham sends Isaac off or sends Isaac's servant, uh, um, his servant off to find a wife for him. So we're introduced to the to the to that family line, which will will be important. We're introduced to the absolutely critical idea that Sarai is childless mm. and the barrier that that is for, for the family line, that's going to be a tension that's actually going to last for a number of different chapters up until the one that we just referred to, yeah. and that is chapter 17. Um, so there's all these promises that are being given to Abram, but how are they going to get to his – how is he going to get descendants when his wife can't have children? 
So having been introduced to where we're going, we then get to these great promises uh, in Genesis chapter 12. And that's really what we spent most of the time yesterday looking Mm. at. Um, And they really are. They're so foundational to our Christian faith. And in the intro night, Seb issued the challenge to us to actually remember Genesis 12, 1 to 3. How are you going, Dave? Um, I, I, I haven't done it. I think I could probably give it a go. Um, uh, no, I can't. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the Lord says to Abram, go leave your stuff yep. and <laughs> them and then I'm going to bless you and make your name great and all that sort of stuff. So, no, I haven't really got, got going on the memory. How about you? Um, I'm getting there, but I'm not quite there. So one of the things that as I've been thinking about, a friend pointed out to me about scripture memorization that one of the key things is often when we're trying to remember things, we'll try and write out the entire verse so that we can remember it. Um, and my friend said to me that actually one of the key things is just write out the first letter of each word because that then acts as a bit more of a memory hook to remember and it then made me think I think one of the first memory verses I ever learnt was the fruit of the spirit and there's a bit where I always got stuck and I remember GFG because it's goodness faithfulness gentleness yes uh, to remember it so you know obviously that's not all of them but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law so as i've been trying to work um on this it's remember because the three things you've got your country your people and your father's household mm. so remember c p f mm. to get them people your people, father's, household. father's household and i've got to say, and go to the land that i've t- now I, I my memory is not actually as appalling as yep. I just sort of implied. Um, so when you get to the blessing parts, this is where the fact that it's sevenfold mm-hmm. might help. Yep. So uh, if if you you're going through, what are the seven bits? There's seven key verbs. Remember, mm. we've always said, what, what's the verb doing? So I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now straight away you can see there's a rhythm to that. Yeah. So there's a da, 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 the, the first four is I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I always find when I'm trying to remember things, rhythm. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's because I'm a bass player. But, but yeah. rhythm is, is kind of thing. Um, I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So just if you're remembering there's seven, remember there's a rhythm to it. Yeah. Give, yourself, give yourself a try because, as I said, um, any commentary that you open up to that talk about these, it is just these are the critically foundational verses, certainly for the book of Genesis, absolutely for our section because they'll be teased out all the way through the story of Abram, but they really set up the whole Bible. You, These are critical theological verses, so it is worth doing the SEB exercise and, and memorising them. Yep. So we then move from that section into the third section where Abram takes God at his word mm-hmm. and uh, turns up in Canaan. Yep, travels through the land. Um, and the interesting thing, I think that idea that I found quite stimulating there was the idea that he's sojourning through the land. You see him, he arrives in the land, but what does he do? He travels in it. Mm. So he moves from the north to the middle to the south, from Shechem to Bethel to the Negev. And mm. and you get this pattern of the way Abram's going to live his life as a wanderer, that there's other people in the land all of that, he is just, he's there. The only permanent things he does there is build the altars to the Lord. Mm. But he lives in tents. He lives within the site, even even that um, description of between Bethel and I, that mm. idea that, you know, he's sandwiched between 
places. He's next to Shechem, mm. the town. He's always surrounded by the reminder that this land isn't his yet and he's a wanderer in it. And so it kind of sets up the, the pattern for Abram's life but also and also sets you up for the way the narrative is going to work, that he's going to be living there amongst the, these people. But um, uh, there's not much more I want to kind of say about that. I thought let's get to that back end. Let's get uh, Abram seemingly selling out his wife mm. in Egypt because this is a pretty big section. Okay, so the time now is for to look at Abram's journey in Egypt with Sarah. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it down into three paragraphs and we're going to read each paragraph time and, and have a bit of a chat about it. So Mandy, take us away. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. All right, so this first paragraph is the journey down there. Um, First of all, why are they leaving? We're told that there was a famine in the land and maybe one of the questions that rises first up is what do we do, what, how are we to think about Abram deciding to go in the first place? So it says Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while. We're going, hang on a minute, Abram. You've just been promised this land. You've just built two altars to the Lord that promised this land to you. What are you doing being so unfaithful and, 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 and not believing that he was going to that having given you this land, you, you're going to starve to death. Um, and, and that's the thing we go, is that a fair critique of Abram or not? Remember what I said as well yesterday about we've got to throw him a bone. He doesn't know all that we know. He is developing and growing in his knowledge of the God that he has started to worship. So, so we want to be sympathetic to him. Do we give him a pass mark here? I think so because, Dave, he goes down to Egypt to live there for a while. Yes. So even that is different to when we talk about Terah going to Haran. He, Terah settles there. Yes, So that's and that's key. The word that describes Terah is he settled there. In other words, he said, right, I'm making this my home. Now the word that's used here of Abram going down to Egypt is that he's going down there, um, what the NIV's translated there is to live there for a while is the word that we get for sojourn. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's a, it's a, even the word, you know, when we're looking at one Peter well, and we're Peter thinking about aliens and strangers strange. in the world, that stranger's sojourn, a visitor, mm. is a place. So he went down there to be there for a while, but as to live as a visitor, not to mm. live as a place that you're going to go, oh, this Canaan business is just too hardcore, I'm going to live in Egypt. So so we, we get, he gets a pass mark there and and he doesn't just get that pass mark there in us people, twenty twenty one looking back and and deciding that the writer gives him a pass mark because he tells us twice about how bad this famine was. Mm. In fact, it says the famine was severe. It was it was a heavy mm. famine, and uh, and so Abram going, oh, I'm going to starve to death. Um, I'm going to travel down to Egypt for a bit. Is okay. It's yeah. not him neglecting and disowning the promise. Okay. That's good, but we get into problems yes. pretty soon after that. Yeah, our 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 cover our, our pass cards for Abram are going to start to run out. So he's about to enter Egypt. So there's sense that he's on the journey. Talk. I'd love to know what happened in the car after this, <laughs> in the conversation. But he goes down to Egypt and and he observes how beautiful she is. Now, what 
any issues there? Well, nothing. It's I think the surprise a little bit is that um, when we think of how old Abram and Sarah are or Sarai are there, mm. I think sometimes we kind of, you know, they're old. Yeah, Sarai <laughs> is at least 66. Mm. She's nine years younger than Abram. Abram was 75 when they went to the land. Yeah. So he's either 75 or, or or plus a little bit, assuming a little bit of time's passed here. Mm. So so now we're not saying that anyone over the age of 50 is, is or any age you want to pluck is... Yeah, but they're but, not the people that you normally think someone is going to be walking around and looking and going, oh, you could be my wife. Yes, trying to poach your wife because and such we, that you're going to top somebody to get them. Yeah, yeah, we tend to think of, you know, the whole you're, you're of marriageable years when you're kind of in your early 20s in... Mm in our way of thinking. Yeah, so there's, there could be a number of things here. There could be um, – we, we've got to also remember that the ages we're talking about, now Tara lived to 205. Now, you, you, you kind of go – there's a couple of questions there, as I just described to you with the line of Shem. Uh, you get this declining – you know, Shem's 500, Tara's 205. You get a 300-year decline over, the, over that family line. So the question does arise, is there a narrative device here mm. where we're trying to say we're getting further and further away from the tree of life now and, and, and ages are starting to settle into the ages that we're now used that, – that humanity for the 99% of the period of the Bible um, – their ages are what they're a, you might expect them to be. So you don't know if there's something interesting there going on in the mix. You don't know whether there's different cultural expectations of where beauty was was discovered. But one thing you know is that Abram's understanding of his wife was not him looking with rose-coloured glasses mm. and going, oh, you're just so beautiful and, and mm. this, is a, this is a lovely romantic moment. Mm. Actually, this is very much not a lovely romantic mm. moment. He goes, you're beautiful, but you know what? When they get eventually do get to Egypt, that's the verdict of the Egyptians too. Yep. So this is confirmed, yep. yeah. And the problem with that is they're going to see you're beautiful, so they're going to kill me because yep. they're going to want you. Yep. So that's what he says in <laughs> verse 12. Now that's when – do we give him a pass mark for that? And that's where you start to go – um, again, we're charitable to Abraham. He's he's a newbie at this. He he should well. God has told him to go to a land, and he's promised to do it. And this God has appeared to him, and he's made great promises to him. Um, he will learn that of, and God has promised, and one of those promises that I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, well, I'll protect you. Mm. Is implicit in that promise. So the, the guy who said, I'm prepared to go to a land I haven't seen at your promises, could he have gone, you know what, I should be safe down in Egypt because this God has made also promises to bless me. Mm. Well, this is one where you go, you know what, he could have promised, um, sorry, trusted the Lord then and he didn't. Mm. And what we're going to, and the story will show he should have. Mm. Okay, so we can be charitable towards him, but this wasn't a great act of, of faith. This is him forgetting a significant aspect of the promise that he was given. Mm. Um, but the other thing I'd say about it is is that he, he wasn't it wasn't wrong for him to think that he could be in danger because somebody was after his wife. That's we've got. This is a vulnerable time. You're traveling in under conditions of of um, drought into a foreign country where everything about you will look foreign and your language will be foreign and people will know that they could take advantage of you. And and it's, it wouldn't be the first time on earth that people have tried to top someone in order to get the wife that they're after. Um, King David, I'm looking in your direction. <laughs> so so 
it happens. And so it wasn't wrong to be afraid, but he could have trusted God more here. And we'll learn from the end of it, he will probably go, yeah, you know what? I really should have trusted you a bit more there. You come through for me. So let's go. Um, so he says, so say you're my sister. There is something more to be said about that. We'll leave that for when it turns up later in the Abraham story. Um, but also there's a bit of a, his, his scheme is pretty selfish here, but this is the logic of it all. He says, if, if I say that you're my sister, then people will go, oh, well, maybe that means that she's available. And so I think the, the commentators that I think have, have thought through this have, have got it right. Let me read to you actually what a guy called Gordon Wenham wrote in his commentary on it. He said, um, Oriel, Orient, he, there's a couple of good points that he makes. Oriental attitudes to adultery were much sterner than ours. And it seems unlikely that Abram would have contemplated you know, casually his wife's being guilty of that sin. In other words, it would have mattered to him. It's not, it's not like, oh, I, my morals, who cares whether my wife's yep. been sleeping with anyone. Indeed, his silence following the Pharaoh's rebukes from later shows that all parties recognise he was at fault. Um, so he talks about another commentator who, so the medieval commentators on this section suggested that Abram hoped that by claiming to be Sarai's brother, he could fend off suitors by promises of marriage without actually giving her away. In other words, oh, okay, so you're interested. All right, well, I'll take your interest on note. and Because remember, he's only going down there to sojourn there. He's probably thinking, by calling you my sister, um, people will go, all right, well, I know there's a process you go by here. You sort of try and flatter and, and bribe the family and try and show why they should be able to let you marry their daughter. And in the meantime, you sort of hopefully you can play that out for long enough so that you can then skip off back home when the famine's over. So that was the scheme. And, and, you know, it's a cunning scheme, I guess you could say, but it's not without risk. Yeah. So let's find out what happens next. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. Okay, Abram's vision was accurate, yep. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. All right. So his plan works and it doesn't work. Mm. So let's deal with how it works, for starters. I mean, it clearly works because he said that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Well, his life is spared and it's spared because of her. Um, it, it, he is treated well for her sake. Because he, he gets sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. You might go, why do we get camels running up the end? Camels were, were at this point, domesticated camels. They'd only been domesticated for a few hundred years. They were very, very costly livestock. And so this is kind of a way of saying he really got loaded up. Pharaoh mm. just, the bride price for Sarai from Pharaoh was a big one. So it did go well for him because it, so his scheme kind of worked, except remember his scheme was a fend. His scheme was trying to buy time and just hopefully get away with his life. He wasn't actually planning on passing on off his daughter. The problem was the eyes that saw him was not just Joe the merchant from Cairo. It it was Pharaoh spot. Yep. Now here's the really fascinating thing. Um, it's a bit sort of clearer in, in the original. Let me, in fact, read a, a, a very literal translation of it. Uh, so, and they saw Sarai, Pharaohs, and they praised her to Pharaoh, 
and she was taken, the woman, to the house of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And each of those phrases is virtually exactly the same length in the original language. Mm. It's this punchy, punchy, Pharaoh, punchy, 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 Pharaoh, punchy, punchy, Pharaoh. And so the, the emphasis is that the one that saw her was originally his official, so that that translation's right, even though it's just the word for Pharaoh. Mm. It's it's basically saying Pharaoh's official saw, then Pharaoh saw that she was good and praised her to Pharaoh, commended her, and then she was taken. Mm. Now, you might sort of go, sounds like she's being treated like, I don't know, a piece of fruit. Mm. And the thing is, is that, yeah, I think there is an echo here of um, in the garden when Eve saw that the fruit was good, and then handed it to her husband, and then he took and he ate. Um, the description of of Sarah's beauty is in the same language that's used of the of the of the trees in the garden, and so you you've got this thing that something that should not be taken being taken, and um uh, for what it might give you, mm. and so so there's this ominous echo of of the of the taking of the fruit in the garden and so um uh, so now there's there's the big question the elephant in the room here is um what does it mean that pharaoh she was taken into pharaoh's palace does that mean dot 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 well let's find out let's have a, a look at uh what happens from here in verse 17 onwards but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him out on his way with his wife and everything he had. Okay, first, um, what's the, the if you're going to observe, what is the word that seems to be repeated so often in that paragraph? It starts with W. <laughs> wife. 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 Like. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so not not Sarai. Wife. Mm. Wife. So the identity of Sarah, Sarai, as as Abram's wife, is is really front and mm. center here. But here's the thing that says this plan really did not go well. Mm. Um, and that is when um, – he, here's two things that might, I think, suggest that the dot, dot, dot is exactly what you hope the dot, dot, dot doesn't mean. That is that Pharaoh committed adultery with Sarai. Mm. I think it is evident that that's exactly what had happened. Here's a couple of reasons why. First of all – because he suffers a curse. Mm. Yep. So now, especially, this will be a bit more obvious when we look at Abimelech later on when um, <laughs> when Abram tries the same yep. trick um, uh, with, with, with Abimelech. Um, but when he does it here, the very fact that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, mm. Sarai, in other words, he and now we're going to make a big point about that in, in a little while, but it su suggests that he is being cursed because remember what happened in the promises to Abram and those who cur curse you, you I, will I will curse. curse. Those who basically – and it's actually not 
curse, curse back in the promises to Abraham. It is those who treat you with contempt, mm. I will curse. And, um, and so taking this man's wife as your wife is not honouring the one whom God has given his promises to. Mm-hmm. Now, we know exactly the role, that, the critical role that Sarah, Sarai is going to have mm. um, down the track. And so what, what you've got here is, is a judgement there. And, and the thing that Pharaoh is mortified by, because he's joined the dots as to why, that's why he summons Abram and rebukes him, mm. is because his whole household is under a curse and is afflicted with dot, 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 plagues. Um, and because of Sarah. Mm. And so he goes, I took her to be my wife. So, yes, Abram has ended up pimping out his wife and and that is horrendous. Mm. And um, and I think, at, as the various commentators have observed, Abram's silence after Pharaoh's rebuke kind of says... He's yeah, got nothing to say. I've got nothing to say. I've, this scheme has blown up in my face. Mm. Except... It hasn't. On one level, and certainly for Sarai and Abram, who were probably in agreement that this might have been the way to go, you get the impression that Sarai was um, agreed to Abram's scheme, um, even though it's ended up the way it's ended. Um, God still works it and says, no, I'm, I'm doing my promise. I'm, I'm actually honouring it in right this space. I'm cursing Pharaoh. And then at the end of it all, what happens? He ends up with all of his loot. Yep. And, he, and, he's, and he's told to go. Yeah, and that reversal of the hold that uh, Pharaoh was the one that took yes. Sarai and now Abram's the one who takes Sarai with him with all the stuff that Pharaoh has given him, mm. largely it seems, for the bride price. Yes. And so, you know, we, we often talk about plundering the Egyptians mm. in reference to the plagues in that Exodus, come up yeah. later in Exodus. Yes. But actually we've got the first plundering of the Egyptians happening here and actually that probably introduces one of the last points that we wanted to talk about at the way that this whole section actually foreshadows really what's going to happen in Exodus. And this is a theme that's going to come up throughout our section actually through 12 to 25 you may not realise it but there are a number of echoes or pre-echoes that call call to mind what will happen Mm. to the descendants of Abram in Egypt. Mm. There's a number of them and the beginning one is here. It, you can't miss it. Mm. So uh, Pharaoh takes um, captive, in a sense, mm. the mother of the people mm. of, of, of the descendants of, of Abram uh, and because of that, because he has taken captive the mother of Israel, he um, is afflicted with plagues on his household, and of course remember how the, what the tenth plague is, the plague on Pharaoh's own household, that, that's the plague that makes Pharaoh release the Israelites, the Hebrews, in Exodus. Mm. That's the one that makes him go, um, right, and, and he blows his stack and he says, I'm, you, you have become such so obnoxious to me, I want you out of my presence, so much so that I don't care what you take with you. Mm. And they plunder the Egyptians at the end. This is a direct pattern that is being set up of, of what is going to happen to in the Exodus and also is interestingly enough it happens with Jesus with Jesus so when when Jesus goes the holy family I guess goes down to Egypt and then and then come back to the promised land out of Egypt I will call my son 
and and you get this that's almost like before the promises are realized you've got to come out of egypt uh, you, you've got to leave there and it happens with abram and it happens with the hebrews and moses and happens with jesus to whom they're all pointing. So this is a, a, a great little passage, but at the end of the day, Abram comes out rebuked. He comes out rebuked by Pharaoh for his deception, but there's also a rebuke that really is also he he should and could have trusted God. And the very fact that he goes back with all of the stuff in fulfilment of God's promises is a reminder to say, you know all those promises that I said to look after you and to curse those who you curse and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great. This is the beginning of that all, of it all, and it happened when you doubted me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's um it is a entirely gracious uh, n- the chickens don't come home to roost as bad as they could have, and in fact he comes back with great stuff. So there we go. That's the that's the back section. That's the beginning of our story um, in in Abraham's life, 12 to 25. So I've been Dave. And I've been Mandy. Join us next week as we see what happens to Abram when he leaves Egypt to return to the promised land. But he doesn't return the way that he left. He's coming back a wealthy man, a leader of a large community. And what's going to happen as he comes back to the promised land?